Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. In honor of Tubishvat and Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we have an extra Dvar Torah this week from Rosh Hashiva Rabbi Aviva Richman. Let's listen in. Fruit Trees, Access, and Equity In recent decades, Tubishvat has become a holiday for trees and to raise awareness and concern for our natural environment. This year, as we celebrate Tubishvat in the midst of a Shemitah year, it is a powerful opportunity to notice the ways Jewish laws on produce and agriculture come at the intersection of the natural environment and social equity. Particularly on MLK Day, when we commemorate Martin Luther King Jr., this intersection is particularly poignant. Tubishvat is indeed a holiday centered around trees, but the main point of marking this new year is to know how to divide up the tree's produce for tithes the various taxes and gifts that landowners must give to those who don't have the same resources. In Jewish tradition, it is not just a nice idea that those who have land and wealth must share it. Our rabbis carefully thought through the details and difficulties of how the bounty of the land reaches those who need it. What policies could introduce more equality and equity in sharing resources? Laws spelled out in the Mishnah are useful for thinking about providing access to resources as it is primarily addressed to householders, who by default owned the major resource of its time, the land. For today, the Mishnah system speaks most poignantly to folks with extra resources who must navigate the responsibility of sharing access. At the same time, Mishnah also gives voice to the perspectives of those who have less access, addressing the real experience and impact of those laws aiming to achieve shared access. As we continue a struggle towards shared access to resources in contemporary American society, particularly across racial divides, spending some time with Jewish laws of agriculture reminds us of the potential and pitfalls of practices we may adopt in a trek towards equality. Laws related to the Shemitah year make a radical leap towards equality in people's relations to the land and its produce. We see that there is a balance between an equalizing approach where all people are bound by the same restrictions on their use of the land and an approach focused more on equity where different rules may be required to achieve a more equal outcome between those with more and less wealth. One example is in the concept of bior. During the Shemitah year, it is forbidden to harvest and hoard. One may only keep enough of a given item in their home that would be a day's worth of meals. This also means that once a given kind of produce is no longer available in the field once its season is over, one may not keep it in their home. Anything remaining of that item in one's home must be gotten rid of, a process called bior. What about items of this sort that are not in anyone's private home, but may be left lying about, ownerless? Who may eat of those? We see in the Mishnah chapter 9, Mishnah 8. One who has Shemitah fruit and the time for Bior arrives, they can distribute enough food for three meals for everyone. People who are poor eat after the Bior, but not those who are wealthy. These are the words of Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yose says, whether poor or rich, they can eat after the Bior. We see here the tension between two approaches to access. Rabbi Yehuda suggests those who are wealthy may not eat of even ownerless items once their season has passed but poor people may. Rabbi Yossi, on the other hand, wants a more equalizing policy where everyone is treated the same. Anyone can eat from these ownerless items 
that remain after their season. The idea of the law in Rebiosi's framework is that no one feels they are of a different status than anyone else. These diverging approaches can both serve towards more equitable outcomes when applied in strategically effective ways. In general, the Shemitah year may follow more in the Rabbi Yosei genre where all become equal before God and no one really owns land. But even so, Rabbi Huda points out that there could still be a need for differentiation to achieve that outcome. While the radically equalizing vision of Shemitah may feel aspirational and inaccessible, this kind of balancing act must be part of our society's day-to-day approach towards greater shared access towards resources. In particular, we have to be aware of when it seems like a particular gesture leads towards greater equality, but the outcome actually falls short or even backfires. Black feminist scholar Patricia Hill Collins writes about the impact of access to a new labor market for Black Americans due to urbanization, noting that this came with a general benefit of shifting from conditions of live-in work to day work, but at the same time there were new forms of exploitation. We see this kind of concern where an attempt to introduce greater access is racked with obstacles in one aspect of the regular agricultural laws in effect in all years, not just Shemitah. One of the gifts from one's produce is to leave the corners of the field, peya, unharvested, so that those who have no land can come and harvest it themselves. In an ideal vision, perhaps peya allows for a level of agency, a sense of ownership and connection to the land, even for those who have no land, they don't just receive a handout, they get a chance to pick the produce themselves. Yet, sharing this unharvested produce can pose a problem. What if one is unable to safely reach the fruit of the trees? We find in chapter 4, the first Mishnah, Peya is given from the crop while it is still connected with the soil. But in the case of hanging vine branches and the date palm, the owner brings down the fruit and distributes it among the poor. Commentaries explain that the problem with leaving the fruit of hanging vines and date palms is that they are too dangerous to access without proper equipment. So for these, the owner has an obligation to ensure that the bounty is properly distributed, otherwise the gift may become a hazard. This specific Mishnah about sharing access to the beautiful gifts of trees teaches us that sometimes... Even a willingness to let go of and share wealth isn't enough. That good intent may be wasted or even destructive if we haven't fully thought through the issue of access. Having the good intention to give and share is a critical first step, but it is also fraught with danger. People might feel like they've done their part and relinquish any further responsibility when the outcome is that people get little or are worse off for trying to make do with an impossible situation. When Patricia Hill Collins writes about the difficulties that ensued in the new economic opportunities brought by urbanization, she stresses that there were different kinds of obstacles for Black women and Black men. Quote, both African-American women and men were disadvantaged in urban labor markets, with gender differences structuring distinctive patterns of economic vulnerability and employment. Creating real opportunity requires careful and patient understanding of the real obstacles to this opportunity. Then, there is a responsibility to create the structures that will respond effectively. Otherwise, the opportunity is not an opportunity at all. 
Taking the extra step of harvesting and distributing paya is not usually required of the owner. The Mishnah goes on to say that even if there is a large public demand that the owner do so, it is ignored in situations where the harvest is easily accessible. Yet, in the case of inaccessible fruit, the Mishnah says clearly, with hanging vine branches and date palm trees, it is not so. Even if 99 of the poor say to the owner to leave it in the field, and only one says to distribute it, this latter is listened to since they spoke in accordance with halacha. We live in a world where transactional responsibilities are largely dictated by market forces. And in that mindset, one might assume that if 99% of people who are poor are willing to risk their safety to access the dates, then the owner need not make an extra effort. But the Mishnah resists this kind of market flexibility. Perhaps because it is aware of the ways that stress, uncertainty, and dire circumstances can encourage people to take risks for the sake of Parnassa, the Mishnah insists that the owner shoulder the burden of getting these items safely to those in need. Otherwise, the owner cannot pretend they fulfilled their obligation of payah at all. As we celebrate Tubishvat of Shemitah this year, let's remember that we must build a world where blessings are not only shared, but shared in effective ways with those whose access may be riddled with obstacles and hazards. As we reflect on decades of attempting to address racism and unequal access in our own American culture and society, this is a day to pay attention to what real outcomes we as a society have achieved and what major work remains to be done. In particular, we have to be open to the reality that good intentions and even initial steps towards improving access are not enough and can sometimes make things worse. Strategies must be rooted in fully understanding the experiences of real people, aspects of individuals' identities and circumstances within existing societal structures that may pose obstacles not visible or obvious to people outside of these experiences. May good intentions lead to paying better attention and building deep communication that pave the way towards shared access to the world's abundant blessings that is lasting and true. Happy to be Shvat. This episode of Tashma was produced by Jeremy Tabak and Sam Greenberg and edited by Evan Feist. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It has been a pleasure to learn with you.